You're listening to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, your escape to reality. Hello and welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. This is your host, Stephen Novella, president of the New England Skeptical Society. Today is Wednesday, June 7th, 2006. With me tonight, as always, are Bob Novella. Hello, everyone. Perry DeAngelis. Hey, uh, how is everyone? I'd like to say a special holler out to Luna, my single fan on the forums. I'll be on there shortly, my friend. Don't worry. <laughs> Evan Bernstein. Hello, everybody. And Rebecca Watson. Hello to all the rest of the listeners who are my fans <laughs> on the forum. Oh. Hey. So, well, we survived Y2K. We did. We did. We survived uh, planetary alignments. <laughs> Many times over. Armageddon. The movie? And yeah. multiple <laughs> predictions of comets and asteroids hitting the, hitting the Earth and destroying everybody. Hell bop. Right. Hell bop. Now we have survived Satan's Day, June 6, 2006. I thought that this one was much better than um, June 6, 1906. Personally oh, yeah. speaking, I think this one was better. Because there's an extra zero <laughs> yeah. in there. Oh, you and your past lives, Rebecca. (laughs) It was just a little more evil this time around. I I felt it. Yeah, a lot of lot of websites I saw, a lot of news items on the on the on TV dealing with this whole business of, you know, June sixth, two thousand six, or six six six. A lot of people going crazy. Just imagine the omen was re-released. You know, that was pretty horrific. That was a great marketing ploy, but uh, it sure was. (laughs) Sure was. I found a great word today. What is hexa? Kosioi hexaconta hexaphobia. Well, I'm just going to take a stab in the dark and say it's a fear of the number 666. How did, how did you guess? I'm a genius. <laughs> that, that is the most bizarre phobia word I've, I've ever come across. But uh, it's nice to know that it actually exists and somebody made that up. But, you know, there are people that take that, even take that fear to an extreme. They'll, they won't have anything to do with, say, a fraction like two-thirds, which, you of course, you know. Is a repeating decimal point six six six, so they'll even do. They'll even you know stay away from anything that has to do with two thirds or, or even other fractions. That result. I'm not sure I see the problem. Well, here. they can't cook meals. Well, they don't know how to measure the ingredients. Two thirds of right. a cup. Oh no! Oh. Can you can you imagine that? Also, did you know that 50, 50 Protestant churches in the Netherlands had a twenty four hour prayer marathon? Also, 23 countries had these things, including the United States, Canada, and Britain. That's why we survived. <laughs> That's yeah, it. Right? We, we owe our survival to their, to their prayers. They kept well, the evil guys at bay. Yeah, but shouldn't, shouldn't things have gotten worse, you know, considering the recent research they've done on Well, prayers? no, I think, I think we made it through all right because I sacrificed a couple of chickens. So oh, actually, awesome, yeah. awesome. <laughs> Of course, this this stoked the flames of fear of Satanists. You know, they were going to come out and be running wild in the streets. You know, killing babies and sacrificing people. Is that what I heard last night? I yeah. thought it was a I thought it was a dog in my garbage can. But oh well, same thing. Now, did you know that linking six 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 and uh, the Antichrist or the devil is pretty much like not true? It's like a it's a <laughs> Wait, is this is this uh, news to you that the no, no, I'm just really. I'm, <laughs> It's not even valid in terms of the book of Revelation, right. is that what you're saying? Exactly, that, that's what I'm saying. Actually, they believe, most theologians and scholars think that 666 was a code, a code for um, a, you know, a Roman Caesar that persecuted the Christians. For Nero. The, the, well, Nero. Nero possibly, but most, more likely than Nero even is somebody I never even heard of, Domitian. 
Domitian was another Caesar that they think might have been the one that they were referring to instead of Nero. But I typically hear, you know, Nero or somebody else. But you got to go with Nero. Yeah, I think it's, Nero's well, the prevailing better. opinion. Much, yeah, that's because he's yeah. more famous. Things like that always attract the more famous person. No, it's because the the numbers translate to like the the letters of it's like N R whatever. He's just a cool, evil, fat guy. That's all. He, he works <laughs> Played a better. Mean fiddle. You know, he's. Burn, burn the stuff down. It's, he's cool, you know. Well, Nero, I'm, 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 I'm on the Nero band. Well, <laughs> scholars disagree with you. What scholars? Uh, scholars. I demand evidence. <laughs> scholars, schmollers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Nero's man. End of story. If Perry and I are on the same team on something, then it's got to be true. <laughs> That's all. Thank you. End of story. Argument from authority. If you're on the same team, it's truly the apocalypse. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of the seven signs I understand. (laughs) Now, Rebecca, you uh, blogged a few days ago about infiltrating a cult. Why don't you tell us about that? I went undercover as a a Christian scientist last week. It was um, scary. (laughs) So what happened? Um, Well, what I did was I just decided to go down to the they have a regular sunday service the 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 mother church is located in boston it's their world headquarters and for people who don't know christian scientists not the same as scientologists some people tend to get them mixed up they're completely different breed of nut christian scientists don't believe in modern medicine it's worse than that i don't know if that's where you're headed they don't believe in reality. Right, right. They think that all of reality is an illusion. So Yeah, and they're anti materialists, if you will. They right. <laughs> They do, however, believe in dentistry. <laughs> they do they, they pick they pick and choose. I think some of them wear eyeglasses. It's right. you know whatever's convenient so you, for them. Your your physical health yeah. condition is a sign of your lack of faith. Right. And if you had perfect faith, then you would be immortal and in perfect health because, hey, it's all just an illusion anyway. Exactly. So you went in there and didn't ignite on fire or anything? I didn't, although I was starting to get a little worried as I <laughs> as I sat there. It was it was kind of worrying, but um, I was I kind of thought that maybe they'd drag me into their basement and try to brainwash me or anything, but <laughs> nothing like that happened. Um, and it was actually it was a little anticlimactic um, because w- what they do mostly during their service is just they read from the Bible and they they pick very specific passages that can kind of sort of support their weird point of view, mm-hmm. and then they read from Mary Baker Eddy's um, book called uh, Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures. She was the founder of Christian Science. The founder, yeah, exactly. And she was a big proponent of homeopathy, so she talks a lot about that and basically about prayer healing you and things like that. And she was immortal, by the way, right up to the point when she died. Right. <laughs> I mean, her, her faith must have oh. wavered just for a moment and then she died. She, she <laughs> probably deserved it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Clearly. So, when did she do this? When did she start this religion? Anyone know? End of the nineteenth century. So, turn of the century. Yeah. Right about the t- same time as chiropractic and all the other nonsense that came along. <laughs> a lot of stuff. Spiritualism was very powerful back then. Yeah. Yeah. So the the nice thing is, um, I I was invited back uh, because on the way out of the church, I was actually uh, stuck in a small elevator with the main reverend guy mm-hmm. um the high and, priest yeah, the grand high pooba 
<laughs> the high and, and, and his uh, his second and third in commands, and they grilled me on. They were they introduced themselves, and I just said hi, and they said, "What's your name?" And so I made up a name because uh, I'm paranoid. <laughs> and they said, um, "Oh, where do you live around here?" And I said, "Oh, I live in Boston, yeah." And they said, "Where do you work?" And, and this is like a 15-second elevator ride, you know. <laughs> Which Jeez. felt like 30 minutes. Yeah, I, and I said, oh, a restaurant, you know. And they start asking me what restaurant, and they want to talk Ooh. about the restaurant industry. And, and then they invited me back. They actually invited me back tonight. They were having some thing where people stand up and tell how they found Jesus, I guess. Um, but unfortunately, I couldn't. So they recognized you as a stranger, uh, in that, apparently, in the whole flock. <laughs> apparently, because they were impressive. They definitely, you know, singled me out. It, and it was also their um, annual meeting, which I didn't know when I first went. And so when I walked in, they had like tables with badges on them and stuff, and I kind of had to sneak through. <laughs> and so I, I wasn't sure if they pinpointed me as somebody who didn't belong there because I didn't have the badge on. And... Oh, definitely. You you stank of being the unclean. <laughs> right, and I was carrying medicated <laughs> lip gloss, and I thought that maybe somebody <laughs> saw it. I was kind of worried. <laughs> you blew your cover, huh? Yeah. I'm going to tackle you. <laughs> so, but I, I'm probably going to go back. Well, it is good sometimes to study what people really believe, and you... You learn a lot about human psychology and the nature of pseudoscience. It's it's interesting, if a little scary. So if one day I don't show up for the podcast, um, you know who to uh, contact. We'll come after you. We'll we'll give you exit counseling. We'll rescue you. I, I forgot to mention the, the reason why I went in the first place, actually. They've been in the news here lately because there's been a an outbreak of measles. Uh, because, of course, they don't believe in the evils of vaccines. Shows lack of faith. Right. So the faithless among them contracted measles. I think they're up to seven cases now uh, yeah. here in Boston. So. Gross. Uh, we got to go into that church coughing and hacking and <laughs> blowing our noses, you know. Uh, That's what we I'm sure do. I'm a walking Petri dish. I probably took out at least a dozen of them. <laughs> oh, the worst thing about them is that, you know, they eschew medicine, of course, but which, you know, uh, can, adults have the right to refuse to be treated, even though it may be, you know, a ridiculous decision based upon nonsense. They have the right to do that. But, of course, they refuse treatment for their children. And this, is, this issue crops up every now and then. There are, every now and then there is a dramatic case of, you know, some child who suffered for days on the couch from, a, from a, an obstruction in the intestines and then eventually died. And that, in my opinion, you know, that's child abuse to the Criminal. point of... Of neglect, yeah, that's cr- that's criminal neglect. Yeah, yeah, that's not just that your murder. opinion. That's just a fact. It's child that's abuse. that's the way it is. Yeah, I mean, they they don't have the right to make that decision for them. Yeah. They're hiding behind the First oh. Amendment, and it's pretty sickening that they can do it. It is. They, it is. They often go straight to jail when that happens. So. They have lost those cases. They have not been. They yes. have not successfully defended themselves on the basis of freedom of religion. Though, oftentimes when those cases come up, it's discovered that the parents who are under trial will occasionally have things that happened in their past that nobody even knew about, like past babies that had died, because they they tend to be a very tight-knit community and they cover right. for one right. another. So Most of those whacked-out churches are insular. Right. And, uh, so we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg, possibly. Um, 
Well, I should say we have an interview this week coming up in, in a few minutes. We will be interviewing Phil Plate, who is the bad astronomer. But first, let's do a few of your emails. The first one comes from Marty Steets from Minnesota. And Marty writes, Great show. Absolutely one of my favorite podcasts. My wife eagerly awaits my lobbing the science or fiction her way after each show. Speaking of the science or fiction segment, I have a question about the altruism gene discovery as as studied in the multicellular organism Volvox. You defined altruism as you do something which sacrifices your own Darwinian fitness in order for your relatives to survive. I was viewing this gene as somehow increasing fitness, such as by increasing the overall percentage of like genes passed on to future generations, since the individuals in a simple multicellular organism are highly related. So while you don't reproduce, your overall fitness is still higher and you had you gone it alone. Otherwise, the altruism gene would be selected against, right? An analogous, though far more complex situation might be the altruism of non-reproducing individuals in social insect species. Please set me straight if I'm looking at this incorrectly. Well, Marty, you are correct uh, in what you say, although that's actually what I was talking about. And maybe I wasn't clear that uh, there are actually computer models uh, that show and not just in simple organisms, even in primates, you know, in, in complex organisms with complex behaviors, that uh, if you are altruistic towards your kins, meaning if you take the hit and you die, but you save your cousin from the lion or whatever, uh, that does result in a statistical advantage for having more of your genes represented in future generations because your your siblings and your, your cousins share a lot of your genes as well. So... Um, sacrificing your your personal fitness, but meaning that you as an individual may not pe- you may not have offspring, but your your kin fitness goes up, and then that uh, the net effect of that can be a um, statistical Darwinian advantage for your genes uh, being passed on to future generations. So that's uh, that's actually what I was talking about, and, and he is correct. We had a lot of emails replying to our discussion of the nine eleven hoaxes, um, I wanted to select two representing kind of the spectrum of what we received. The first one comes from Michael Orticelli, who is a longtime listener of our show. Uh, how you doing, Michael? He's been listening uh, f- almost from the very beginning, I believe. Hey, Mike. Okay, Michael writes, uh, he wrote a long email, so I'm just going to read part of it. I'm not sure what to think of you guys standing on one side of, of the offense of unknowns and firmly standing stating that anyone on the other side of this set of unknowns are the conspiracy theorists. The fact is, when we don't have nearly all the facts in the, in the 9-11 attacks, and there are so many unanswered questions and so much speculation, it is kind of irresponsible as skeptics to simply state that anyone who believes there may very well be more to these events than meets the eye are the conspiracy theorists. He goes on, and I've actually had a couple of back and forth with Michael on this issue. The bottom line of his point is that he's basically making the statement that where there's smoke, there's fire. There's too much... Uh, anomalies, there's too much, too many unanswered questions, there's got to be something going on. He would not endorse any specific conspiracy theory or even say that there was a conspiracy just to say that there's something unknown here. What I say to that is that the there really isn't anything unknown in terms of the basic facts of 9-11. Islamic extremists hijacked four jets, crashed two into the towers, one into the Pentagon, and one crashed in Pennsylvania. Those basic facts have been established beyond doubt, beyond you know, any even sliver of a reasonable doubt. The so-called speculation or unanswered questions are all manufactured. They are manufactured by conspiracy theorists, they, who basically 
do an anomaly hunting. And then these the anomalies are often quite stupid. And for example, it may just be one witness who had had some detail in their testimony that was different than what other people were saying. And they'll dismiss the hundreds of witnesses who saw uh, a passenger jet hit the Pentagon, and they'll say that this guy saw a missile, you know, and then they'll believe that guy. That's manufactured uncertainty. Um, so our position is that if you look at all the evidence, if you read the, you know, the uh, independent analyses, again, I think the popular science one is a good one because that's just a, you know, a science magazine, that um, you know, the basic facts are not in question. The second email comes from Vincent Sammartino. Now, Vincent is kind of at the other end of the spectrum. He definitely believes that there was a conspiracy. Uh, he said, he writes, I was just listening to your podcast on the subject. You should try and get a person that understands basic physics on your show. All of your hosts are completely clueless of reality. That's Good actually point. true. Good point. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent point. Can't beat that. I deny reality. I deny physics. I became a Christian scientist. <laughs> I had a few emails back and forth with him. Did he get specific he, at all? Oh, yeah, he does. <laughs> but he's regurgitating all of the standard conspiracy points. He didn't say anything I had, that we hadn't talked about or heard, heard before. I'm shocked. On a follow-up email, he writes, Just so you know, I am not a Johnny-come-lately to when it comes to the subject of 9-11. You may find my essay on the subject industry. By all means, input the names into the SSDI and the September 11th Victims' Compensation Fund. So what that is talking about is that not all of the victims, who, uh, all of the passengers on the plane are listed, if you look under their Social Security numbers, on the Victims' Compensation Fund. And he uses such you know, ambiguous, flimsy evidence as that to basically argue that they didn't exist because they're not on this database. He, and we, we focused a lot on the Pentagon. He basically believes that it was physically impossible to crash a jet into the Pentagon, and that's why he says that we, we are ignorant of physics. Why? And the, foot, the film footage is all faked? This is, well, there is, no, there is no footage that clearly shows a jet crashing into the Pentagon. The released footage we talked about last week just shows this white streak followed by an explosion. What? He does believe that it was all fake, though. And I sent him dozens of pictures of plane parts in the Pentagon with the testimony of the people who were there and took the pictures, and he says they're all faked. How does he know okay. they're all faked? Because it was impossible to crash the jet into the Pentagon. Why? What's so impossible he about that? He starts with that premise, and that premise proves a conspiracy, and he can dismiss any other piece of evidence, no matter how extraordinary it is, because he knows it was, he's absolutely certain that the, it was impossible. Well, was there, is there a force field around the Pentagon? Why can't you fly a plane into the Pentagon? He says because the, the ground effect... Who told you about the force field, ...makes Bob? it impossible... <laughs> To fly a plane, he says six feet off the ground. That figure is also at the low end of the speculation. It could have been twenty or thirty feet, but he says basically you couldn't fly the plane that low to the ground, which is which is stupid. It's, it's just absolutely absurd. And I I, I tried wow. to, to I tried to get him to answer my question. What would happen then if you did try to crash a jet into the Pentagon? What would happen? Would you miss the ground? I mean, could you not crash a plane That's into the ground? That's the key to flying. You just fall and then I miss know. the ground. I said, <laughs> I said he wasn't, the plane wasn't flying 20 feet off the ground. It was crashing into the ground right. in the Pentagon. It was crashing, not flying. Right. Did he reply to that? Yeah, he just kept on saying it was impossible. You can't fly 20 feet off the ground. You don't know physics, blah, blah, blah. And then he, he makes all kinds of arguments from authority and, you know, it just got nasty. See, Steve, it makes sense. You can't fly that low to the ground or you'd crash. Right. Duh. <laughs> Duh, Steve. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> I, I sent him testimony of pilots who said it would be pretty easy to do what that pilot did. Uh, of course, he has 
counter testimony, but these are all from this insular group of conspiracy theorists. You know, uh, it was uh, you know quite a discussion. But I could not yeah, nail well, him down on what he actually think would ha- actually happen if you tried if you tried to do that. And you know, I, this guy is as extreme as you get. I said, well, he thinks that the entire Congress is in on it, the entire mainstream media is in on it, and we're in on it. Uh, Thank God he was around to pierce the veil <laughs> and let us all know the reality, which is what exactly? I Actually, don't know. they made the plane. Yeah, I think somebody on my blog today commented that uh, it's a vast conspiracy, a secret held by thousands <laughs> of people, and can only be cracked by one lone nutball on the web. <laughs> <laughs> One intelligent chimp. It is interesting. I mean, this this, this demonstrates the psychology of conspiracy theories very well. You know, he's convinced that he has seen the truth, and that is like being in the presence of God. You know, he feels that he has the truth. That certainty enables him to just wipe away and explain away any apparent anomalies. To pick and choose the evidence that he wants. He he knows there was a conspiracy, and it, it's kind of like being being um, certain that your faith is true. Whenever you're absolutely certain that you're correct, that is the recipe for a closed belief system, and that's what these conspiracy theories are. So we have some more links on our website. There's you know there's one excellent testimony from someone who was there picking up body parts with uniforms on them, you know, investigating the uh, the wreckage in the Pentagon. People who were witnessed it and took pictures of the wreckage immediately after it, you know, at least proving that they were right there. So, but I'm sure we'll hear more about this. Uh, my experience, when I, whenever I write or talk about conspiracy theories, that usually engenders the most vicious, vociferous response. They are, I think, the nuttiest true believers that we deal with. By far, by an order of magnitude. And thank you for listening, Vincent. Keep listening to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Keep listening. I'm listening. <laughs> We'd like to hear your uh, your dissertation on Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> well, he said, you know, or he, since you bring it up, he said, "Oh, conspiracies are possible." JFK, Pearl Harbor—that proves that conspiracies oh. are possible. <laughs> He also said religion proves that conspiracies are possible because religion's a big conspiracy. What a non sequitur! I mean, that's just religion is. It's like saying macaroni and cheese proves that conspiracy <laughs> theories are possible. What the hell does that mean? Well, of course, of course, conspiracy conspiracies are possible. But the scale that a lot yeah, of these the people, scale. the scale is what just blows it out of reality. I, I mean, it's just. I really would argue that. Conspiracies at the, at the scale that would be required are impossible. I cannot imagine yes. all of Congress keeping a secret like this. It's really just impossible. It's ridiculous. It can't I happen. Think that it probably follows uh, if you if you plotted the number of people that would have to be involved in a conspiracy, basically how big the conspiracy is, against the probability of the conspiracy like collapsing and being revealed if there, there's probably an exponential relationship there maintaining the conspiracy garners the politicians nothing exposing the conspiracy would garner them the presidency <laughs> would 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 come on would Ted endlessly valuable to them yeah oh yeah it's but perry that but the thing is he knows it's a conspiracy that he's starting from that premise so he just says well they must have some other agenda there's some deeper, darker agenda that we don't even what? know about. You know, hey, you don't know how deep this rabbit hole goes, Perry. <laughs> you don't. Know. That's what he said. Black is white, and white is black. 
we're through the looking yeah. glass. That's the thing. When you once you once you step into a world where you think nothing is as it seems, then logic evaporates. You can't argue with these people. Hey Steve, it it's funny. You, it's funny you mentioned that line because that's from Oliver Stone's JFK, and of course yes. Oliver Stone is coming out with a movie this summer called World Trade Center. Uh, uh, It'll be be interesting to see what he does with that movie. Um, I haven't read much on it, but I'm going to definitely... Yeah, we'll we'll see if if he he takes the conspiracy position. Yeah. Joining us now is Dr. Phil Plate, the bad astronomer. Phil, welcome to the Skeptic's Guide. Hey, thanks for having me on. Phil runs the Bad Astronomy website uh, and also has a blog and wrote the book Bad Astronomy. Uh, he is an astronomer who, on the side, debunks pseudoscience in, in his in his field of astronomy. Astronomy. He has taken on astrology. Believers in the Moon Landing Hoax and Hoagland in the Face on Mars and many other issues. So, Phil, why don't we start t- uh, with uh, the Moon Landing Hoax? Um, this is you have a long, rather long article on that on your website. We were actually just talking about the 9/11 hoaxes, so this kind of plays into that. And why don't you just give us a summary of that? Well, if I talk about this, Rebecca's not going to make fun of my mom, is she? <laughs> I don't know. She, <laughs> she's want to do that. No, I did. I mind. did listen to the last podcast, <laughs> <laughs> and I know how how evil and mean and amoral you you skeptics Ooh. are. Oh, not us. Oh, thank you. And we just had our <laughs> high holy day yesterday, so we're especially mean to. <laughs> That's true. Um, yeah, the moon landing hoax. Uh, let's see. Oh, golly, where to start? Basically, the idea is that there are folks out there who are. Uh, they call themselves skeptics, which makes my cockles of my heart warm. Then they say, th- "Yeah, they're they're actually." Phil, can deniers. we not talk they're about not- your cockles? It's a family show. Thanks. I just know that it really bugs you, Rebecca. <laughs> um, so anyway, these people think that NASA faked the moon landings. They call themselves skeptics because they think that skeptics are just people who doubt things, but in fact, skeptics are people who uh, need evidence to be presented so that they can fe- they can make a decision over whether something is real or not. Right. And if you're skeptical about the moon landings, I'm all for it. Uh, but if you're just going to deny that they're real, that's just silly because all of the evidence, and I do mean all of the evidence, shows that we went. And all the evidence that these people present, these moon hoax proponents, these hoax believers, whatever you want to call them, all the evidence they have is just uh, basically crap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, again, from reading your article, and I've read you know about this in many other places, it's uh, it's anomaly hunting, and the anomalies are only anomalies in their own minds. It's based upon their own ignorance. Yeah, I mean, basically, you can you can pull something out of context mm-hmm. and make it look like whatever you want. So if you look at an image of an astronaut standing on the moon, you can say, why is this and why is that? And it's easy to sow the seeds of doubt into a reader's mind. But in fact, if you back up a little bit and look at this thing in context, you'll realize that there's a perfectly legitimate reason for the photograph to look like that. And they don't really have any answer to those explanations. They just sort of reiterate their initial point. Oh, well, they have answers, if you want to call them answers, that it was filmed in the desert, it was filmed on a soundstage, that NASA stole the money and ran, that, uh, you know, this, this and that and the other thing. But it's just all, it's all crap. I mean, there's, there's a ton of things that these guys produce. They say, 
there are no stars in the pictures, the shadows go the wrong way, the radiation would have killed them, the flag is flapping in the wind. It, this goes on and on and on. And all of these have really, really simple answers that you can find on my website and elsewhere. Like, for example, the stars not showing up is simply because the sun was up. It was daytime on the moon, and so they took the pictures with a fast shutter speed. And in the 150th of a second that the, the film was being exposed, stars don't show up. That's right. And the stars are no brighter on the moon than they are on the Earth. People, that's a misconception. They think that the Earth's atmosphere blocks a lot of light. So if you can see a lot of stars on the Earth and on the moon, you should be able to see even more. Um, but that's not true. In fact, the sky is fairly transparent to visible light. It lets through like 98% of the light on a clear night. So standing on the moon, there's, you really wouldn't see any more stars than you would standing on the Earth in a dark sky. And if you go out on a dark night and take a picture for 150th of a second, you're just not going to see any stars. It takes several seconds to see them. So that, that's one. You know, I could go on and on. The and flag, then what do they say in response to that, then? Uh, nothing. They actually don't like to oh, talk yeah. about that. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that's it exactly. Or <laughs> one of them... One of them would just claim again. He says that's just wrong. You should see you should see thousands of stars. I, I love that argument, you know, because yeah. I said so. Is what they're <laughs> right. saying. Right. Right. Um, hey, Bill. Yeah. I just came across one of these I hadn't I hadn't seen before, and uh, I loved your answer, especially since it's pretty much not reproducible even with today's technology. The um, some some people claim that the walk, you know, men walking on the moon and the rover. If you just kind of speed that up, it'll be obvious that it was filmed on Earth. And and your answer was very interesting, especially the rover, the effect of the rover and the dust. Could you quickly describe that? I think the answer I gave was that that's just stupid. And then I just left it at that. Yeah, that's what I liked about it. I think that's what you I know? said. That you was idiot. Excellent. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> um, no, this, this has caused a lot of confusion. Um, there, there's a layer of dust on the surface of the moon, and this is basically the rocks on the surface have been ground up after millions and billions of years of, of meteorite impacts and the solar wind and all this. And it's called regolith, and it's, it's an inch or two deep. It, it's got a texture of like anywhere between gravel and, and extremely fine like flour. And when the astronauts walk in it, for example, it leaves their footprint behind. Now, if you're in the rover and you, you spin out a little bit, the, the wheel kicks up this dust, you get some interesting effects. The gravel basically makes this beautiful parabolic arc. It goes up and it goes down. And uh, that is similar to what it would do on the Earth. So the interesting effect is that when the rover tire spits up the fine dust, the fine dust also goes up in an arc and falls straight back down, or not straight back down, but it makes this beautiful arc up and down. On the Earth, because we have an atmosphere, the dust billows, the, the, the fine powder is supported by the air, and you get this big cloud of billowing dust. But on the moon, it doesn't do that. The stuff shoots up and shoots straight back down. And so you can see by looking at this video that it was filmed in a place that had low gravity and no atmosphere. Now, you know, low gravity, no atmosphere... In my mind, the simplest solution is they filmed it on the moon. Right. Okay? They didn't film it here. They filmed it on the moon. It wasn't um, on the Earth. Now, this causes so much confusion with people because people don't understand, and, and I hope you're all sitting down, people, a lot of people don't understand that the moon has gravity. This is an old, old <laughs> story. And you may have heard about this, that, that uh, somebody went around taking a survey of people asking them if there was gravity on the moon. If you let go of a pen on the moon, would it go up, would it float, or would it fall? And something like half the people said it would float because oh, they don't understand wow. that the moon is a large body that has mass and therefore has gravity. And then if somebody said it would float, the follow-up question was, well, then how did the astronauts stay on the moon? 
And people would answer, well, they wore heavy boots. <laughs> <laughs> now, people swear this is a true story. I don't know if it's wow. apocryphal or not. But it, I do a lot of educational uh, work, and I do know for a fact that pe- a lot of people don't understand that there's gravity on the moon. And so some of these hoax proponents, and you can find this online, say that the, why isn't the dust billowing away? The fact that it's coming back down shows that it's on the Earth. If it were on the moon, it would just be shooting up in the sky and going away. And so wow. this is this is like you're like you know where do you start you know after you well first you start by picking up the pieces of your head after it's exploded from listening to something like that <laughs> but that's what it's like and so you have to you really sometimes have to back way off of the problem to be able to explain to people how this stuff works oh oh right. and and you said that if you speed up the film um, right. by a factor of two it makes it look like the astronauts are, are moving correctly that is in fact not true if you were to drop a rock on the moon it'll fall. Um, slower because the moon has one-sixth the gravity of the Earth. If you speed the film up, actually by a factor of about two and a half, it'll look like the rock drops at the correct speed because if you do the math out, the time it takes something to fall goes as the square root of the ratio of the gravity of the moon to the Earth. The square root of one-sixth is about one over 2.5, so if you speed the film up by two and a half, it falls naturally. So if you speed the film up by two and a half, then things that fall, things that have to do with gravity, look like they do on the Earth. The problem is, when the astronauts are just moving, waving their arms or doing whatever they're doing, that is a natural movement that has nothing to do with gravity. Mm-hmm. So if you speed the film up by two and a half, it looks like ah. they're, waving, they're flailing their hands around at two and a half times natural speed. Awesome. And so really, when you speed the film up, when they're doing things that aren't involving like walking or doing stuff like that, you can see that it looks ridiculous. But you know, these guys don't tell you that, because if they tell you that, they can't sell you their books and videos and all the garbage that they sell. Is that the motive here? Is just self-promotion, just something to something to do? Um, for some, I would think. I have had dealings with all four of the big moon hoax proponents, and this would be Bill Casing, the guy who originally came up with this uh, whole idea back in the 1960s. Uh, he is he is now dead. Bart Sabrell, who has a video called "A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Moon," and he's the one who Buzz Aldrin punched, <laughs> if you remember that, a couple of years ago. Uh, Did he? I don't remember. Um, that. David Percy is a guy in England who has a bulletin board where he discusses these things, and when people would show that his ideas were wrong, suddenly those answers would disappear off the bulletin board. And uh, last but not least is Ralph Rene, an American guy who claims he's a genius. He was with Menza and all this stuff. Um, and he is a curmudgeon and a crank and, and very much the crackpot. Uh, he was on Penn & Teller's uh, TV show. And since this is a family-friendly podcast, I won't give the name. I believe on Penn's radio show, he calls it Bull's Hit. (laughs) So um, Rene was on that show, and uh, uh, Penn had quite the fun time making fun of him. And so I've dealt with all four of these guys, and you know, I can honestly say that Ralph Rene is just a crackpot. He thinks that pi is not equal to 3.1415. He's got all these claims. Um, Bill Casing, I think, was sincere, but I think he was also... uh, Okay. People say you shouldn't speak ill of the dead. Yes, actually it is. I believe if you talk to a psychologist, they will actually make that noise. People tell me not to speak ill of the dead, and I think, well, you know what? He caused a lot of grief when he was alive, and so if I'm going to make fun of him, I don't care if he's alive or not. Not like he can sue you. Uh, and he threatened to several times. He sent me several letters saying he was going to debate me and sue me and do all this stuff. After he died? Uh, yes. In fact, John Edward and I have been uh, channeling. <laughs> all right. And um, as far as the other two go, I mean, the fact that David Percy had a bulletin board and started excising opinions that disagreed with his lets you know where he's coming from. Mm -hmm. Um, Bart Sabrell, I have no clue. 
this guy makes all these claims. I've debated him on the radio a couple of times. You know, in the end, I don't care if these guys are nuts or if they're lying. And, and those really are your only two choices. The fact is they're wrong. Mm-hmm. And the evidence shows that they're wrong. And they leave off the evidence that you need to understand it. They're not going to tell you that speeding up the film makes half the things the astronauts do look stupid. They're not going to tell you that short exposures won't show up stars. They're not going to tell you that they're grossly confusing the different types of radiation when they say that the radiation should have killed the astronauts. Because if they tell you this, there's no reason to listen to them. And, you know, maybe they're selling books. Maybe they're selling videos. Maybe they just want the attention. Mm-hmm. Maybe they honestly believe that they have discovered the biggest cover-up in history. It doesn't matter. These guys are wrong, and I aims to show it. Right. Yeah, it just gets, gets again, the reason why, I mean, these guys are just cranks, and they're kind of pathetic. And, and the, the, the moon landing hoax doesn't get that much play, in my experience. It's, it's not as big as other ones, again, like the 9-11 hoax. Well, no, not, it's not like 9-11, but it's, it, with the web, when, before the web, it was out there. Yeah. But it didn't get much notoriety. Right. With the advent of, of the internets, it got very popular. And then when Fox aired that abysmal right. TV oh, show yeah, in 2001, yeah, yeah. Was, it became was, huge. Yeah. And that's, I mean... <sighs> That show came out, and I was able to get an advanced copy, and so I was able to have a debunking, a point-by-point debunking of it ready, literally, right after it aired. So the next yeah. day, I had my, my, my website up for it, and it got picked up by a lot of big venues like CNN and NASA actually pointed to it. And that really jump-started my career. And so I'm very conflicted about that Fox show. Um, <laughs> I owe everything to it, but geez, I wish it had never aired. But the thing is, you know, there have been other TV shows about it. it it's been covered on, you know, on Penn and Teller's show. I, I, I'm going down, actually, by the time this airs, I'll have already filmed an interview for the pilot for a series of TV shows that's going to air on a cable channel to be named later, uh, although I know what it is. I'm not going to tell you guys. But it, the, the pilot's about the moon hoax, and they're going to interview Jeez. moon hoax people and everything. So it, it's out there, and it's still, you know, it's got some legs, even though it's, it's total and utter crap. Yeah, but the bad thing about these kind of wacky, cranky theories is that it, it really teaches people, you know, aberrant thinking and aberrant science. It basically erodes the public's critical thinking, you know, capacity. That's right. All of this stuff is a way for people to stop thinking and just believe what people are telling them. And, and this is the really pernicious nature of this. It's one of two really evil things about this. And, and yes, it, it is, listen to me, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. It is, I'm going to tell you a certain number of things, and you're going to believe me, and I'm not going to tell you this last thing, which is going to show to you that I'm utterly wrong. Right. And so people turn off that part of their brain, if they ever had it turned on, which allows them to skeptically view what somebody's telling them. You know, and, and oh my gosh, who would who would talk like that? You know, politicians, salesmen, right, shysters, mm-hmm. pseudoscientists, all these guys are gonna are gonna keep a, keep information out of your grasp that you need to understand the situation. And the, the other evil thing about this is that a lot of these guys are doomsday uh, people. They want to convince you that the world's about to end and, and boy oh boy, if you're gonna do it, astronomy's a great way to do it. And they make all these claims that a giant planet's going to destroy the Earth, that an asteroid impact's going to destroy the Earth. Uh, just two weeks ago, this guy was claiming that a comet was going to impact in the Atlantic Ocean. Mm-hmm. Yep. This was on May 25th. Caused a tsunami, which was going to kill millions of people on the east coast of the United States. How come I didn't see that on the news, Phil? Um, it, was, it was all over the web, actually. It wasn't too oh, hard yeah. to find. <laughs> Wait, so it happened then? <laughs> um, okay, you're joking, Rebecca. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, this guy says a comet's going to hit the Earth on May 25th. It doesn't hit the Earth. So then he says, did I say May 25th? I meant June 5th. And then that didn't happen. Now, if you go to his website, and I have a blog entry I'm, I'm going to post here. It'll already been posted by the time you guys uh, put this podcast up. He's actually claiming that it, that it was going to hit, and then it did hit, but then it caused a tsunami, but then benevolent aliens came in and stopped it. Oh, thank so God. He's, he's claiming oh. victory. He's claiming victory. Mm-hmm. And it, it's th- at this point, I think, why the hell am I bothering to do this? It's like digging a hole in water. These guys will always <laughs> find some excuse to, to, to say they were right. Sure. You know, it was a mass delusion. The government was covering it up. That's just what they want you to think. Yep. Anything but I was wrong. It's never I was Every, wrong. Everything but that. That's right. See, but that's just it, Phil. You're not doing it for the crackpots like him. You're doing it for all those people who are just sort of checking in on, they're on the fence. They're like, what's all that about? And That's, that's precisely made. right. And I'll tell you, nothing, nothing gets me angrier. Nothing pisses me off more than people using pseudoscience, bad logic, anti-science, I'm calling it now, to scare people. When you're scaring somebody because of this, that is just as low and slimy and evil as it gets. And our government's been doing that for a few years now. Um, not that I'm going to let politics rear its head into this conversation, but the, the politics of fear are very powerful politics, and nothing cracks open somebody's wallet like scaring them. And if you tell them, you know, you won't get cancer if you eat this, or sure, homeopathy will cure that mm-hmm. dental problem you have, you scare them into thinking that, that, that medicine, that standard medicine is going to kill them, and they'll go to your alternative crap medicine, which will in fact kill them, or prevent them from getting real medicine, which will cure them. Right. Or they will sell their property to you on the East Coast because they think a comet's going to hit. Or you can just sell a book. And, and this really, really, really makes me very angry. Yeah. But just the the other point I wanted to make was um, the the other reason why it's helpful to to talk about these issues, even though the issues themselves are absurd. Uh, it's not just you know to get to those people on the fence, but it's also just to teach people about science and about logic and critical thinking. And sometimes right. having a really absurd, extreme example of pseudoscience is a it's a good way to teach about what isn't science. Ding ding ding. That that's exactly right. And in fact, if you look at the difference between someone like me, a scientist, and someone like Bart Sabrell or these other guys uh like Richard Hoagland or, or these other people who are promoting, you know, garbage, is that I will point you to the other side. I will say go look at their arguments and then come and read my site and see what the counter arguments are. Do these experiments for yourself. See how you can figure this out. And, and you know, don't believe me, is what I say. I don't want you to just believe me because I have a degree or that I'm a professional astronomer or I'm just so, so good looking. It's not anything to do with that. I want you to just look at the facts and make up your mind. And if you do, you will see that I am, in fact, right. And so that's the kind of thing I, I put up on my site. When I make a mistake, if the mistake is actually relevant to the argument I'm making, then I will admit it. I will actually say, I made a mistake here. I originally said this. Here is the correct answer. You will never, ever, ever hear a pseudoscientist claim they made a mistake. Ever. That is not in their vocabulary. So, Phil, you mentioned Hoagland. Uh, this is, uh, is it Richard Hoagland? Richard C. Hoagland, that's right. Richard C. Hoagland. He is a first-class nut job. I mean, this guy, uh, he's, he's the, one of the main proponents of the face on Mars. He is and, the proponent well, of the face on Mars. Yeah. 
uh, and a lot of other sort of Mars pseudoscience. You've had any direct run-ins with him? No, not not so much direct. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily call him a nut job. I don't know what his uh, what his motivations are. Um, I do know that almost everything he's ever said that I've ever heard him say is wrong. And uh, we can get back to that in a minute because there's a funny story about that. But yeah, I mean, here's a guy who um, who says that the the this giant rock on Mars is is a sculpture of a face. He he's very coy about who actually sculpted it. But he says also that there's a city on Mars and there are all these artifacts on Mars. There's a huge NASA conspiracy going on. And and I've got several web pages totally tearing him to shreds. Um, his arguments are just just goofy, and it's a classic case of of lies, damn lies, and statistics. He he manipulates numbers in such a way to make it look like what he's saying is real, but it isn't. Uh, he just it's numerology is what he's doing, and he he takes JPEG images, which are compressed images, and blows them up hugely, and then says, look, there's rectangles in them. And it's like, well, duh, that's part of the JPEG compression. That's what happens <laughs> in the computer. <laughs> so he does, he does garbage like this all the time. Um, yeah. He is on uh, George Nury, the Coast to Coast AM radio show, which is a huge radio show. They have about 10 million listeners every night, mostly uh, insomniac truck drivers who listen to it with their tongues firmly planted in their cheeks. I, I'm pretty sure that most of the people who listen to this show listen to it for its its uh, its chuckle factor. The the people who get on there talking about chupacabra and all this stuff. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, the amount of email I get when I go on, you know, the the old adage that 90% of the mail you get is is negative. In fact, I get 50% support and 50% calling me a you know a CIA spook. And so the fact that I'm not getting overwhelming negative email from people who listen to Coast to Coast shows you that most of their listeners, I think, are listening to this because they think it's funny. And so right. Hoagland the is... entertainment value. Exactly. And, and Hoagland's on... He used to be on fairly often. Now he's on like once a week, shilling his wares and making all these dumb claims. And I'm on every few months. If there's something interesting going on astronomically, I'll go on and debunk it. And, and George Nury, the host, is just begging me to debate Hoagland on the air. Because as one of the biggest science proponents on the show, debating one of the, the biggest anti-science proponents on the show would make for great radio. Mm. On the other hand, you know, I'm not going to stick my hand into a vat of necrotizing fasciitis. I'm just not going <laughs> to do that. You know, I'm not going to demean myself by debating this guy in the air. The, the, the crap he says is, he says some truly awful things. He, he's not just yeah. saying things that are wrong. He compared a couple of s nice guys, a couple of scientists to Nazis. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, literally, he, he basically said they were Nazis. Yeah, I mean, he, he really has reality issues. Um, he believes that NASA is a Nazi conspiracy, that basically no Nazi scientists and eventually found their way to the like the Soviet Union space program and NASA and they're and they're trying to carry out this long-term plan to take over the world or something. I mean that's well, that's the level that we're dealing with. There are with. two points I'm going to make here. One is that you don't know that he believes that. He says he, it. He says that. He says he things says like that. But you don't know if he believes it. Uh, the second True. thing is that you know our space program was was started by Nazi scientists, Werner von right, Braun, I was going to point that out. And his engineers mm -hmm. worked for... Now, these guys worked for Nazis because the Nazis were the only game in town. Right. Um, on the other hand, there was slave labor involved uh, to get the V-2 rockets built, and, and von Braun didn't seem to you know, be, go too far out of his way to stop this. There's a, there's a whole history about this. You know, and I'm not going to judge because I don't know the history that well. 
So you can. Yeah, he's not just saying that there are Nazi, uh, you know, scientists in NASA, which of course is true. He's saying Word. that they're in control of NASA and that they're they're using it to you know pursue their long-term you know world-dominating ends. You know? If there were fascist dictators in charge of NASA, NASA would be doing a much better job. Right. Okay. The, one of the problems with NASA is that it's got too many directions it's trying to go in. If there was somebody running it with an iron fist, you know, it would do better. Uh, on the other hand. There are disadvantages with this, <laughs> such as you know slave labor and the whole you know exterminating you know inferior race uh, parts of it. That's the kind of the downside of, of the Nazis. So, right. um, but but you know the claims this guy makes. He, he has he has all these World Trade Center, the terrorist attack on the World Trade Center. He makes all these claims about that, which are just they're just stupid. And I debunk those on my website as well. And it's been a long time since we've actually given the name and URL of my website, so I'll say it's on Bad Astronomy, which is badastronomy.com, because I am a, a hopeless shill, in fact. And we'll, we will have the link, as always, on our notes page. Cool. Well, speaking of NASA, you, you blogged recently, I think it was, in fact, today, about um, you mean two an weeks appeal ago. to Congress to refund NASA science. Yes. So there's problems with funding at NASA, so why don't you tell us about that? <laughs> No, a problem is when you stub your toe. An, an epic disaster <laughs> is when you're five or six billion dollars short in your science budget. What yeah, happened here, enough. this is a complicated situation, what, it, but, but it's, it's explainable. What happened was, NASA was busy throwing away money on the space shuttle and the space station when, oh, I'm sorry, did I, did I inject a personal opinion there? Um, <laughs> and um, our esteemed leader came in and said, we need to go back to the moon and then go to Mars. And uh, NASA said, we think this is a great idea. And in fact, I think this is a great idea. But then what you Bush do. did is he said, okay, you need to do this, but yeah, I'm not going to give you any extra money. Or I'm only going to give you a little bit of extra money. And so NASA really was screwed. It was, it was another in a long line of unfunded mandates from the president. And NASA had to do this. And so they started looking into it. And when um, the, the current NASA administrator, Michael Griffin, came in, he said, not, and this is a quote, not one thin dime will be taken from science to fund the return to the moon and going on to Mars. And he was telling the absolute truth because it wasn't one thin dime. It was actually several billion dollars. He, they had to take money from science because there was no way they could, they could build a rocket and a program to go back to the moon without sacrificing to do it. I mean, they have a budget and there's a fixed amount of money. But yeah. the problem is... Not so much. It, the problem is that happened in the first place, but NASA made it a lot worse by the way they were doing it. They didn't talk to the science community, or they said to the science community, "What's important to you?" And the science community said, "This is these these programs." And then NASA just cut them. Um, yeah, some of the they most ignored their recommendations. Yeah, some of the most important projects were just cut, and it it was done in kind of a kind of a, a way that was really. Not a good way. The Dawn mission, which was a mission to, to go to two asteroids, was simply just cut. And there was a big European contingent that had built instruments for this thing, and NASA didn't even talk to them first before they canceled it. If one mission was canceled, and the principal investigator, the person who had put this mission together, found out about it when somebody told her there was a press conference going on, and the associate administrator of NASA said it was canceled. Did not even get a phone call. Got, a, got a, a letter written to her that, that took like a week to get to her. So she found out through the grapevine, basically, after it was announced. So this was not endearing the NASA administration to scientists, especially after this, the administration was saying that science wasn't going to take a hit. So we scientists are still a little ticked about this. 
And so I've been blogging about this and saying, you know, NASA can't do this. They're, they're, they're basically cutting off their head to save the rest of the body. It doesn't make any sense. And so they, but, but they're screwed because they don't have enough money. So basically the only thing we can do now is to talk to Congress and say, look, you've got to fund this. This is not cheap. And the science that you're cutting is destroying the next generation of scientists. You're cutting the, the, the research funds that are necessary to generate the next generation of scientists. And if you cut this stuff out, there's just, you're going to lose a tremendous amount of uh, uh, your brain trust for the next generation. Mm -hmm. So there are committee meetings going on right now with Congress, and I've written letters. Um, uh, the president of the Association of American Universities, who speaks for 60 universities, wrote a letter to Congress saying, look, you have to find $6 billion to, find, to, to, to fund this. And that money is around. There are Katrina cleanup funds which are sitting, not being used, over, I think, $2 billion, which is just sitting there. And it's never going to get used for, because of the reasons it was put, put aside. They could use that, for example. They could take $9 billion in cash that they lost in Iraq last year and double the amount of funding that NASA needs. So this money's out there. It's just, you know, Congress needs to find it and, and fund NASA with it. It's just a matter of priority, right? Yeah, and this, NASA is the smallest of the government agencies when you compare it to um, the military, uh, health and human services, all these, NASA gets the smallest piece of the budgetary pie. When you talk about a $200 million mission that, was, that, was, that smacked into Mars or something like that, it sounds like a huge amount of money, and it is compared to NASA's budget, but $200 million is what the military spends in like an hour. Yeah. Yeah. You have to put this stuff in context. NASA gives us so much. You know, have you ever downloaded a Hubble picture and used it as your wallpaper? Have you ever picked up a picture from Hubble? Have you ever sat back and read about how we're finding planets orbiting other stars and they're being confirmed by space-based telescopes? Just that knowledge is probably worth the 2 or $3 out of your tax money that you spend in a year out of the tens of thousands you give to the government that, that NASA is getting. And so NASA is absolutely worth it. It needs, it needs to be more tightly controlled on how they're spending their money, but NASA is absolutely worth the money it's getting. Oh, absolutely, because it's almost an entire branch of science that is really dependent upon see, these big projects, these big funds. You can't have, you can't, you know, put in put telescopes in orbit unless you have a, an agency like the size of NASA to do it. At the moment, that's true, and I'm hoping that private industry will be able to pick up some of the slack. I mean, NASA hasn't put anybody in orbit in a few years, and there's supposed to be a shuttle launch next month. We'll see. I don't trust the shuttle anymore. I, well, I actually never did. But I certainly wouldn't trust something that, that, that blows up two out of every 125 launches. That's not, yeah. especially given the number of, number of issues involved with launching a shuttle. Do you think we should end the shuttle program? I think it should have ended 10 years ago. NASA never put together a project to take over for the shuttle once the shuttle was getting old enough that it, it should have been replaced. And so now we've got uh, a shuttle which is dangerous, and nothing to replace it. And they should have been phasing it out. By the time you lose an orbiter, it's too late to start thinking about what you're going to do to replace it because it takes 10 years to build a, a rocket like that, to design one from scratch. And that's what's going to happen now. Are they starting to do that now? Well, yeah, there's the crew exploration vehicle. This is part of the return to the moon and going to Mars. And it's going to be like a, you know, a shuttle on steroids or something like that. It's going to be a super powerful rocket that can actually take people to the moon and, and uh, let them stay there for uh, longer than the astronauts did back in the Apollo day and eventually put colonies on the moon or at least laboratories. Mm -hmm. And the work has started on this. As a matter of fact, 
NASA just announced uh, what centers are going to do what, which research centers, Kennedy and Johnson and Goddard and these different centers around the country, what parts of this uh, they're going to be working on. So it is, it's moving forward. You know, they, they want to put a man back on the moon in, in about 10 years. So, you know, we'll see. Now, you are a proponent of manned space missions? Uh, yes, but I will qualify that and say that I think it's important that we explore with people because that is our destiny. Our destiny is to set foot again on the moon, to go to Mars, and to eventually colonize the galaxy. I think this is a fine idea. Um, one asteroid impact can wipe out our entire race. Larry Niven, the science fiction author, said, the reason there are no dinosaurs walking around today is because they didn't have a space program. If they had a space program, they could have blown up the asteroid, right? We can actually totally prevent a global disaster. It's the only global disaster you can prevent. You can't prevent earthquakes, you can't prevent hurricanes, but an asteroid impact you can prevent if you have rockets. You can blow up the asteroids, one, and two, you can put colonies on other planets and therefore preserve the human race. And so I think this is a good idea. I think the we've wasted the past ten years just circling the Earth. We should have been pushing a lot harder for better technology and better rockets to get to the moon. Well, we're finally doing it, and you know, science is getting screwed in the process unless Congress steps up to the plate. So you know, when, you, when you say I'm for a manned program, yes, I'm for it if it's funded and done correctly. The problem is NASA's, you know, there's a lot of money in NASA, uh, and, and politicians love to get their fingers in the pie, and the space shuttle got distributed over many states, and senators got into on it, and Congress got in on it, and the next thing you know, you've got an orbiter which does not do what it was meant to do. So what and about space other stations the same way. Yeah. What about other governments and countries of the Earth participating jointly in uh, efforts to uh, explore space? Is that an option? Yeah, uh, well, India, India's got a probe uh, they're building right now to go to the moon. China wants to go to the moon. Russia's going back. They just announced they're going to send a very ambitious probe to the moon. Partnering with them is not a bad idea, but you have to be really careful because we partnered with Russia on the space station, and then Russia couldn't deliver on its components. And so the space station wound up costing us even more money than the outrageous amount of money it was already costing. So, you know, you've got to be careful when you partner with, with, with countries over, you know, other countries. On the other hand, you know, China wants to put a man on the moon. That's pretty good uh, impetus to get us to go again. Now, just to get back to the manned, uh, manned missions again, the reason why I bring that up is because we had Bob Parks on our show about, I guess, six months ago. Yeah, I know, now. Bob. You know, you know him, and he, his, his point is that we should be putting our money into robotic missions, and that it's just the, the extra expense of keeping people alive in space is not worth it, and that we can have a virtual presence on these worlds, and that's, uh, that's the way to go. Bob Park is a very smart guy, but Bob is also dead wrong on this issue. First of all, it's not a waste of money to put men in space. It may be a waste to do it the way NASA is currently doing it with the space station and the shuttle. But putting people back on the moon is not a waste. There are so many reasons to do it, like I said, to, to preserve the human race for one. Another one is just the sheer inspiration of it. Look, I, I worked with Hubble for 10 years. You know, I know what these images do to people, how gorgeous they are. I know how inspiring these Cassini images from Saturn have been. This is high art. This stuff is gorgeous. And it, it, is, it is inspirational to see these rovers on Mars. It is inspirational to do all of this stuff. But it's, it, that stuff is a drop in the bucket compared to seeing somebody walking around on the moon again. There was nothing like that when, when we did it back in 1969. Yep. And um, to do it again would inspire an entire new generation of engineers and scientists and explorers. And, and 
Bob says, you know, we're, we, we don't have enough money to do this. That's, that's just wrong. We do have enough money to do this. The robotic probes, you could double the robotic probe budget, and it would allow you to do a tremendous amount of th- things. And it would still be a fraction of what it would cost to put a man in space. But it would still only be a drop in the bucket of the amount of money we could spend on this. We could, we could double NASA's budget with the amount of money that's wasted by Congress every year on, on, on other things. And it's just not, I don't think it's that big of a price to pay. Now, of course, it's my own pet project. I know we have people starving. I know that we have other problems in this world. We're a fairly rich nation. We have a lot of money. If we spent this money wisely, we could actually fund public school systems. We could rebuild our roads. We could have a universal health care, and we could have people on the moon. The money is out there. So I don't buy into this either-or argument, either robots or man. I don't buy into the either-or argument of either we fund social programs or we fund NASA. That's a a garbage argument. It's a a false dichotomy. We can do both. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm I'm definitely a proponent of having people in space. What do you think? Recently I've been reading about um, a technical problem in that uh, shielding astronauts from radiation in space is a real limitation. What, What do you think about that? Everything about going to Mars, technically, can be done. We can recycle air. We can recycle water. It's not easy, you know, but you just have to build a super huge ship. If, and, and you could do that if you could just launch piece, and piece after piece after piece in orbit and assemble it in orbit. That's a technical problem. There's a physics problem, and that is that the sun gives off the solar wind, which is a stream of charged particles, uh, neutral particles as well, but it's electrons, protons, neutrons. And these fast protons... Uh, when they smack into your DNA, can damage it. And if the sun happens to belch and give off what's called a coronal mass ejection, which is a tremendous explosion of of this stuff, a solar flare, anything else like this, the amount of charged particles that would pass through the human body would give you a lethal dose of radiation. In fact, Mm -hmm. the astronauts on the moon, had there been a solar flare while they were on the moon, it would have killed them. I mean, dead. And there were contingency plans of what NASA was going to do. Nixon even had a letter written up about what, you know, if the astronauts were left on the moon to die. This is true. And so this is a real problem, especially on a long trip. The, the trip to the moon only took a week or so to go there, stay there, and come back. A trip to Mars is six months almost minimum, and they're going to be out in space, and this is dangerous, so how do you shield them? And it's not really well understood how you can shield them. Um, water is an excellent radiation shield, but it's very heavy, and it doesn't compress. And so to carry... 20 cubic meters of water, that weighs 20 tons. That's a lot. I've not heard of a good solution yet. Now, astronauts on the moon, when we build colonies there, there are a lot of ways around it. You can build underground, for example. Right. Uh, you can dig, which is actually very difficult to do on the moon. That, that's the, the, the regolith, that dust on the moon, is very difficult to dig in. But you could build underground, and, and if you go down more than a couple of meters, that'll help. You could build your domes on the surface of the moon and then cover them with rubble. Uh, there are things like that that you can do. So that's preventable. But I, you know, going to Mars, that's, that's tough news. I don't know how they're going to do it. Well, Phil, we're out of time. We greatly appreciate you being on the show. It was really fun talking to you. Thanks. I had a, a lot of fun, too. So uh, keep up the bad astronomy. Oh, I don't have to keep it up. It's out there on its own. <laughs> I'm it's just, you know, one guy trying to stop an avalanche Fight here. the good fight. It's the, it's the best any of us can do. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you, Phil. Our pleasure. Take care. Thanks, right, bye-bye. All right, that was a fun time with Phil Plate. He's a good guy, good skeptic. Phil's He's a on the right side of the issues, that's for sure. Got to check out his Bad Astronomy website. He's got a lot of interesting articles on there. Good blog.
Would you say the interview suffered due to my absence? Always. Thank you. Yeah. Very good, good host, <laughs> excellent host. <laughs> All right, we have we have time for science or fiction. It's time for science or fiction. Each week, I come up with three science news items or facts. Two are genuine, one is fictitious, and I challenge my panel of esteemed skeptics to figure out which one is fake. Again, two are real, one is fake. I think ready? the last time I got one of these right was 1912. Yeah. Approximately, yeah. <laughs> got to change your, your tactics or something. Perry. Maybe your tactics right. should be going with me, because I always win. Go on. All right, but I want to ask Perry first. Here we go. Number one. This week, military surgeons are testing a system for remote, mobile, robotic telesurgery. Item number two, a new study suggests that phantom limb pain is psychosomatic. Item number three, drinking caffeine makes us more susceptible to persuasion, according to a new study. So those are one is robotic surgery, two is phantom limb pain is psychosomatic, and three is caffeine makes us susceptible to persuasion. I, I need to hear one again, please. This week, military surgeons are testing a system for remote, mobile, robotic telesurgery. Okay. All right, why don't you go first, Perry? Yeah, that one sounds reasonable. Psychosomatic limbs, okay, and uh, what was the third one? Drinking caffeine oh, yeah. makes us more susceptible to persuasion. Uh, let's see, drinking caffeine supposed to make you hyper. Uh, yeah, that one sounds that one sounds reasonable. Uh, and the other one, you know, that phantom limb there—that's uh, that's a cross wire in the brain, uh, misfiring in the head, isn't it? So that would not be psychosomatic, All right, doctor? <laughs> You ask me? Yes. <laughs> if that if that's accurate, it wouldn't be psychosomatic if it's if it's a you know cross wires in the head, right? You want the definition of psychosomatic? Okay. Yeah. Psych psychosomatic means that it's somatic or or a symptom that you have in your body, but the ultimate source of it is your psychology. Okay, so I think that one's wrong. I think that one's fake. Okay, Evan. I agree with Perry. I think number two is wrong. Number one, surgeons doing a mobile robotic telesurgery. Um, I seem to recall seeing that, reading that, um, discussing it. Um, one of the uh, one of the companies I work with in my industry in, in television production, they do uh, live webcasting of surgical procedures on the internet, and I believe that they've been. Uh, that they've touched base on this and uh, some of their uh, recent uh, shows that they've done. So I'll say that one's true. And then it's just really a matter of guessing, I think, between the last two. I think I think just the uh, the caffeine seems just more plausible to me. All righty, Bob? The remote telesurgery, yeah, that's totally plausible. Uh, I've been reading about it for years. It's getting They're getting more and more advanced with it. And I remember five or six years ago bringing, bringing this up to you, Steve, and you were skeptical about it uh and uh, it just i that just makes total sense to me and it's, it seems inevitable the caffeine and persuasion uh yes i'll i'll just say that that is true 
and the phantom limb pain being psychosomatic is is false i believe i've read i didn't read something specific about that i did read something about phantom limb pain though that said that uh it is totally explainable by the, the way the nerves operate and stuff so uh that one is false all right so we got we're three for three so three uh people all believe that number two is fake rebecca uh yeah me too actually i read the other two articles it's not cheating. It's how being dare educated. you learn on your own time? I mean, yeah. <laughs> so you Sorry. all agree that the the phantom yeah. limb pain being psychosomatic is it fake. Better so let's be. go to num- yeah. let's go to number one first. <laughs> number one is true. Uh, this week, military surgeons are testing yeah. a system for re- remote mobile because military. So the whole point is that you know in the field. They could send a robot, I right. guess, I mean, that, somewhere. That's the only different thing about it is that it's mobile, right? It's mobile, yeah. right. I mean, that's part of the reason why I included that, because it would right. make it seem a little bit more extreme. But that is, in fact, true. They're, they're testing it on a, on a simulated patient. They're not yet at the point where they're testing it out on real patients. That's good. That's good. And number three is correct. Drinking caffeine makes us more susceptible to persuasion. Uh, subjects in the study who who had... They gave them uh, the the group in, this, in the control group... A, a drink. One, the, the group had caffeine. The control group didn't, and they couldn't tell who got had caffeine and who didn't. The group who had caffeine, uh, their opinions were more likely to be changed by someone you know trying to persuade them of something, and the, and the the change of opinion was actually fairly persistent. So it didn't just go away again uh, after the caffeine wore off. So caffeine has some effect on our brain that makes us more susceptible to persuasion. And number two is fake. So you guys all got it right. You did very well this week. Um, You can take take a homeopathic remedy to cure number three of diluted caffeine, and you'll no longer become susceptible to the persuasion. Yeah, if you take caffeine in homeopathic doses. Yep. Actually, you can buy that. That's that's uh, their sleep aid is homeopathic doses of caffeine. (laughs) So... uh, but yeah, get so phantom limb pain. Actually, there there was a recent study that showed that the the localization of phantom limb pain is actually not even in the brain; it's in the nerves themselves. Hmm. So the the the, the damaged nerves. So Bob Bob actually so mentioned that. The, Bob was correct. It's at the stump. Yeah, it's at the, it's coming from the limb itself. It's coming from the, the nerves that are left behind. That they're they're producing the abnormal signals that are producing the phantom limb okay. pain. It's not a brain phenomenon. Cool. So I just reversed it, you know, just to to make it fake. We got it right. So you guys all did everyone. well. First one I got. So Perry, you broke yeah. you broke your pattern. I, yeah. I'd like to thank Luna for the uh, psychological <laughs> uplift. My, <laughs> my fan letter in the forums. You're one fan. <laughs> thank you. Aww. Thank you very much. All right. Well, that's our show for this week, guys. Thanks again for joining me. Oh, and speaking of, we should mention before we sign off that people should definitely continue to sign up to the forum because it's yes. growing every day. It is. It's yep. growing. We, we're and on there. Perry could, would... could use a few more fans. Absolutely. So. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see you on the forums. And until next week, this is your skeptic's guide to the universe. The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe is produced by the New England Skeptical Society. For information on this and other podcasts, please visit our website at www.theskepticsguide.org. Please send us your questions, 
suggestions, and other feedback, you can use the Contact Us page on our website, or you can send us an email to info at theskepticsguide.org. Theorem is produced by Kinetto and is used with permission. Sleepless nights, slow burn days, problems, proofs, endless delays.